This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. It's Wednesday morning, and I am Glenn DeGeek in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Jamie Jennings, and I'm in Norman, Oklahoma, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for February 10th, episode 26, 2616. Well, I couldn't see 2616. That was weird. <laughs> uh, this is brought to you today by Stateline Tech. Good morning, Horse World. Is it going to be my day? It's <laughs> Wednesday morning. That means Jamie and Glenn are back to talk horses with all of you. Well, let's be honest. Jamie talks horses. Glenn is just here to hassle Jamie. Enjoy the show. We got a big show today for everybody. Uh, we have a legend coming on today. Armand Lyon is coming on to join us. Of course, show jumping legend. You probably know the Lyon family, right? I mean, Peter and yeah. Mark and everybody. Uh, but he's coming on to speak with us about something serious about uh, what needs to happen in horse sport to keep it vibrant and going. So he's going to be chatting about that. Now, we're going to be severely undereducated when it comes to having this guy on, by the way. that I mean... I didn't know. I thought this was a joke. No. Like, people didn't actually do this. Um, but he's a doctor and a lawyer. Yeah, he's a medical doctor and a lawyer, and he has a third degree in business. Okay. So well, That dude spent a lot of money on school. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're severely handicapped today, Jamie and I. Uh, but he's going to be coming on. I'm so excited about that. We also we have another doctor. It's Doctor Day. <laughs> well, I fit right in. I have an announcement to make. <laughs> oh, yes. You just got your degree? Uh, I just the, finished my degree. Yeah, over the, in the last two days since we were on last, you finished your... Uh, I've, I've been bored, you know. <laughs> Dr. Heidi is coming on from LSU, and she's going to talk about a study that combined mute and omeprazole, and wanted to know how those two work together. That would be butte and omeprazole. Did I say butte? You said mute. Oh, butte. That's what I meant to say. (laughs) Um, Plus, uh, we have Samantha back with us with the UK Report, and she is a guest, too. Eventer Emma Winters coming on to discuss about how the extended lockdown is affecting everybody over in England and whether they're sane or not. Uh, They've been locked up for a long time. I have a feeling I know the way this conversation (laughs) is going to go. How's it going to go? Uh, yeah, we're still locked down and it sucks. Yeah, I think it's pretty much how the conversation's going to go. I wonder if, I just wonder if they're going to be able to compete. I don't know. Who knows? Because they have some of their biggest shows, Badminton and everything's right in the middle or beginning of the season. So, Hey, Glenn, remember when I told you that I had, uh, I requested some days off for a vacation and I told you that I was going to go to Hawaii. In March, right? First- yeah, in March. And what's the first thing you said? Uh, you're going to need another test. <laughs> you've had a lot of tests. You're going to need another COVID I've test. I've already had two COVID tests, okay? And they're not fun. Um, the first one was not was not fun. The second one really hurt. Um, I think she just was she actually... Like <laughs> she was going for brain. Um, but now, apparently, on the way to Hawaii, you have to get a COVID test you know, within three days. That's right. Fine. Yeah. I was like, you know what? It's worth it to go to Hawaii for a week. 
And we're going on traveling on miles and his parents have like a free place to stay. So it's basically like this free vacation. So I'm like, I can suck up a COVID test. Come on. Now, as of yesterday, you when you land, you have to get another one. Oh, they changed it? You have to get one before and after. So before you get on the plane and then after they do it too? Do they do the quick one after? I don't know. But you- it's I'm like one I could do Two, I don't know. I don't know. You can't go to Europe either, so you're you're now a lot of places you can't go, actually. Do you know what Chad said? He's like, we'll just go to Florida. Everything's open there. Yeah, we're here. (laughs) (laughs) We're open. No tests required in Florida. Uh Uh-uh. No. Nope. No problem here. All right, let's do some daily winnies. (laughs) He's just yelled up, I want to go to Florida. I was going to send you some flowers, you know, a nice lay and everything. I guess I'll hold off on that. Then, uh, you could send it because I might not be seeing him in real life. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, there are no auditor daily winnies today, no birthdays, nothing. So, oh wow! So I'm going to give my daily winnie to some panelists tonight that are joining me for the latest Stable Scoop Roundtable, which is doing quite well in the numbers, I might say. Uh, we're doing it live tonight on Facebook Live on the Stable Scoop. Uh, page and also on the Horses in the Morning Facebook page. And the auditors, you can see it in the auditor room as well. It's 7.30 tonight, Eastern Time. Uh, panelists include host of the fox hunting episode here in Horses in the Morning. Tara Tibbetts is going to join me. Host of Rain Your Herd podcast here in the Horse Radio Network, April Hardiman is going to be on. And auditor Lindsay Helmuth pierce is going to join us. And the topics are going to include horse trainer certification. Do we need that for all horse trainers in the United States, like some countries? do. Uh, the emotional, t- this is for you, the emotional toll of injuries and training setbacks. <laughs> so um, that's people and horses. So we're going to chat about that and the impact social media has had on the horse world. So we got some heavy, heavy topics. That is like legit topics. Yeah, I mean, this show where we're actually discussing real serious stuff. Uh, it's been kind of fun to do that after doing silly here for 10 years. So I'll tell you, the impact social media has had on the horse world is I've gotten a lot of horses adopted. So true. make sure it's, I, it's had some, some positive. good impact. You know, it, it's had a lot of good impact, I think, you know, along with some negative. <laughs> but uh, it, I think it has had a lot of good. So and we'll is the emotional toll of injuries and training setbacks for the horse or for the Both. ride? Okay. Both. So part of that's dedicated to you right now. Uh-huh. I, I wasn't hurt from riding, though. Well, for years of riding, you developed uh, all of this. So technically, yeah, you were. <laughs> so. Just so you know, I had surgery. Not one of you a-holes sent me a card or flowers. Glenn sent me nothing. Nothing. But there's somebody I can always count on. I sent you my love. You sent me nothing. I sent you a package. (laughs) I sent you presents and things. And two weeks ago, I said to Jennifer, I need to send Jamie something. And then I totally forgot. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) So I just wanted to tell you that I have one friend out there. And her name is Laureen. That's right. Laureen. Laureen Barton sent me a present for my uh, my infirmity. And um, actually, she sent it for Parker. It's a brand new bling, beautiful halter and lead wow, rope cool. set. 
I know. Like, she knows what horse girls need. Useful things that we can actually, uh, that are pretty. Um, and I, I, she messaged me. She's like, did you get a package? I said, yes, I did. But I was waiting to uh, put it on him and take a really great picture because it's purple and like, rhinestones all over. It's so pretty and it's going to look great on my dapple gray horse. But the problem is my dapple gray horse is covered in ears to tail with a blanket because it's like seven degrees outside. And I just can't do a photo shoot when my face is frozen and the camera freeze. <laughs> so Laureen, love you. That was so <laughs> nice. Thank you. And I will be doing a photo shoot as soon as it is humanly possible. Probably in June. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if any listeners or auditors or anybody wants to private message me for Jamie's address to send her something so she, she stops bitching no, about no. this, please do. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter what happens at all for anybody else. What matters is that you didn't send me Jack. I sent you a I'm paycheck. I'm not worried about uh, that's true. I didn't get a paycheck. <laughs> I do send you a paycheck. There's that. You didn't, yeah, you didn't say, it's not like you paid me sick time, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you have a job. Consider that your paycheck. Oh. And, and my love. You know you have that mm-hmm. all the time. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Hey, Jennifer, so thanks, what did she send us that we didn't use? Can we send it back? Uh-huh. The Play-Doh set. We haven't used that yet. Can we send it We're back to her? We're going to put in a box of crap, remember? Oh, no. The, no. You know what did get put in the box of crap that went to Jacqueline? What? The My Little Pony. <laughs> <laughs> See, I sent you some really thoughtful things. I sent you Play-Doh, and I also <laughs> sent you a My, My Little, Little Pony, pony. stuffy. Come on. <laughs> StatelineTech.com. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to send you something. Because everybody likes getting stuff from Stateline Tech. I almost said the bad word. Uh, so it's StatelineTech.com. Go there right now. If you need blankets, they still have their blanket sale. Uh, under $65, they have all kinds of blankets. They have Amigo and Tough One. They also have some Weatherbeetas. They have some Saxon blankets. They have some Shires blankets. They basically have an entire page of blankets, 27 different blanket deals you can find right now at statelinetech.com and I was looking they also have a sale I know a lot of people use this they also have a super sale and this stuff is expensive <laughs> is on Himalayan salt and I know a lot of you use Himalayan salt and it's not cheap right uh, but they actually have the salt rocks starting at two dollars so it's on mega sale right now uh, they have the blocks starting at fourteen dollars the eight to ten pound blocks do you use Himalayan salt that's cheaper than me getting it at Costco and then <laughs> twisting it into their food. <laughs> Is that what you do? Seems easier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they have that on sale right now also over there. And they seem to still have the 30% off deal. I don't know how they keep doing that. But uh, that that's uh, right at the top. They also do have some Gatsby halters on sale right now. So you definitely want to head on over there every day. Check it out. They have different sales all the time. But StatelineTAC.com is... Is where you should go. I need to go there and find some some crappy gift to send to Jamie right now. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Very you're, thoughtful you're of you. You're well, welcome. You, you sent me a My Little Pony. I know. And it was Pinkie Pie and I sent it with love. <laughs> yes, you did. She's your favorite. <laughs> All right. Let's call our first guest. We have a lot of guests today. 
We have a full day lined up for you, and I am so excited about this first guest. We are thrilled to have with us Armand Leon, who comes from a family of international show jumpers. He was selected as an alternate on the show jumping team for the 1980 Olympic Games in Moscow, which we didn't go to because we were boycotting it that year. And he was... How much did that suck, by the way? Uh, He was also a member of the FEI Tribunal. He was on the USEF Board of Directors. He's director, then president, then CEO, then chairman of the USET Foundation. So he's been around the horse world, uh, quite an important guy. And when he had time to do all that in the midst of getting multiple degrees and doctorates, I don't know. I have no idea. So let's get him on the phone. Armand, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely a pleasure to be with you and Jamie. You know, in your introduction, I got a quick, not so serious question to ask you to start. Uh, we talked about you being an alternate on the 1980 Olympic Games in Moscow. How much did that suck for all the athletes when we ended up not going that year? That just had to be heartbreaking. Yeah, because opportunities like that require a lot of things to come together at one time. And it doesn't happen very often. For instance, myself, that was the one year when I had a horse the performance, the ability, you know, to go, to qualify, didn't happen after that. So, you know, it was unfortunate, but that's life. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, when I read that, it just struck me that, and I remember that year that I graduated from high school that year, actually. Armand, I feel like things worked out okay yeah. for you <laughs> after that. They did. <laughs> they did. So I got to ask you some serious questions today. We got you on and you've been around the horse world a long time and you've seen so many different things and so many different positions. What if I'm going to start off with the positive. So what's the biggest positive change you've seen in horse sport uh, through the years? Through the years, the the biggest change, that's that's a tough, the biggest change in horse sports I've seen is that it's become more uh, commercial. Uh, It's become big business. Whereas we were fortunate when we were kids growing up, it was a sport. It wasn't so much business. I mean, we started with ponies. I mean, we've got, you know, the Thelwell pony books. That's where we started. We had lots of ponies. We rode them. We drove them. We jumped. So, you know, we went from that where it was really, you know, down boot, dirty jod for boots and doing the barn to now it's a, become a, a big business a little bit. I, I, I guess that's good for sports in some ways, but you know, I sound a little old. I enjoyed those older days with the ponies and the trailing around and all that stuff. We're you never going about back to that, your are animals. We? We're never going back to that, are huh? we? We're not going back to that, are we? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think so, although I still hope that the pony clubs, the 4-H programs in this country where kids can work with animals and, and it, it takes away all that artificial stuff. I still hope that continues because I was blessed. My brothers and I were blessed to have horses in our life that taught us about life. And so, you know, I, so it's a little different. It's, it's a little different today. How would we get back to that? I don't know. I don't know how we'd go there again. Well, Things you've got two. You've so got much. Yeah. Yeah, you got you got conflicting. You know, first of all, there's the, the the safety consciousness, which is certainly important in our sport. But you know, when we were bouncing around on little ponies, twelve hands high, the ground wasn't that far away. You <laughs> learned how to roll off. You learned how to take a buck. You learned how to. Now, kids don't get that entree into the sport where it's you know rumble pumble and nobody gets hurt. 
And so um, that's one, too. As horses have become more of a commodity and they've become more expensive, um, you know, people aren't so willing to work through problems. You know, we used to, a pony that used to stop was a challenge for us as a kid. I'm going to jump that wall. And it might take you 10 times, but you got it done. And then you, you accomplish something. Now, people are less willing to work through problems for you know, riders today, I would say. Well, let's take that a step further then. Part of the money coming into especially show jumping nowadays is we have rich kids. I mean, you know, mega rich kids that everybody's rich kids seems to be in in horse sport. Now, it's always been true that rich kids were in in horses, but I don't know. Maybe it's just more publicity. We're seeing it more. Do you think that there's more rich kids coming into sports? Is that changing things a little well, this horse has got more expensive when you want to compete at the top level. Now, if you want to compete in a, in a Formula One Grand Prix, you need a Formula One car. Mm. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't care how good a driver you are. You're not going to yeah. make it to the finish line, you know? But I, I think I would say, uh, this may sound funny, but if you don't ride bad horses, you can't become a good rider. You know, you need to ride. You can't, if you only ride good horses, it's like being a golfer who can play when it's in the fairway, perfect grass, perfect weather, but they can't hit out of the rough. Mm. And I'm sorry, horses change. I don't care how expensive or, or, or whatever the horse is, something will happen with a horse along the way where if you don't know how to deal with it, it can start to lose its confidence. It can start to lose its ability to perform. So, you know, if you've never had experiences dealing with a horse that was a little scared of a jump or would hang a leg or would sometimes want to buck in the corner, if you, if you, have, if you have, don't have the instincts to react to that, you can get into trouble on a course. And that's something you can't learn in the middle of a competition. So, you know. I feel like Armand and I have grown up riding different horses. I mean, like... Those are the horses that I always had and I still have, and I still help people. So don't think that the world is ending and everybody rides a perfect horse because that is not true. And you could go online to, uh, what is it? The shade Eventers unite and look at all the bad horses that people are naughty horses or naughty behaviors. Um, just, just don't, don't lose hope that, there's some of us who who help people Jamie with rides those horses. Every day. <laughs> I, I, I made a career out of riding bad horses, naughty horses. That it's but you my can job stick the fix. buck where you know maybe some of these riders that their, their horses are trained for them and they just show up. You know, well, see, and and like that's what I said is Armand's uh, experience is a little different yeah. than 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 mine. So so he <laughs> sees that a lot more. Yeah. Zip bucks, get but, rid but of it. Let's get a new one. <laughs> Well, yeah, but no, I, I think at the upper levels, you have that, this problem where, you know, people are, you know, anytime there's a problem, they buy their way out of it. But, but to come back to it, I mean, you know, um, when I started in the Grand Prix back in the 70s, you could buy a horse that yeah, maybe had, it was a good jumper, had a little issue here or there. You could train it, work with it, and you could compete at a good level. Now, the quality of the horses is so high that you, it's hard to do that, to, you know, um, to take a less than top horse and, and, and compete. But no, I rode, you know, again, uh, like you, I, I rode a lot of horses that 
especially ponies. <laughs> that made me look like a real Wally. <laughs> <laughs> so let me take it a step further, though. So if you, you're an attorney, if you had to lay it out in court, what has to change in order for the, the all horse sport to stay vibrant? I mean, you were you were the chairman of the USET. What do we have to do for it to stay vibrant? And and there's a lot of factors against that right now. First of all, animal rights. You know, all of those things are coming after us. We have a lot of you know outside influences that are coming in to change uh, horse sport. So, what do we have to do? I think the grassroots level needs to be. Uh, supported more okay i mean i think the ability to have local uh, equestrian competitions the pony clubs the local one day show even the unrated shows where you could go you could go as a family you could ride several classes you didn't spend thousands of dollars in the day and you got to enjoy the horse the sport and your family and the friends you know that's really you know everybody focuses on wellington and and you know, uh, try on and, 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 uh, Aachen. you know, that's great for the 1% of ride, less than 1% of riders that go there. So I think ultimately if we could get back to a, uh, uh, more local level sport where the money and the prize money is not the goal, but the activity is the goal. I think that would help now legally, you know, I, I don't think this is a legal issue. I think it's it's a question of of the sport and how we uh, how we teach it and approach it. Um, different countries have different ways of doing. It. I think in Germany, for instance, vaulting is a big big activity for young kids. Vaulting. Now you go, what does that have to do with it? Well, you learn how to get on uh, get on a horse, you learn how to fall off a horse, mm-hmm. you learn how a horse moves. You just you become part of the horse. And so I, I think I would say if we could take the the emphasis off the top of the sport. And make it, keep it accessible for your, you know, people that don't have, you know, millions of dollars. Um, That's the essence of the sport, the relationship between a person and a horse, what you learn from each other, how you, that's, that's the essence of it. You know, the competition's great. And that's that's certainly part of it, but that's not the essence of it, at least in my opinion. Well, and you know, there has been this year, especially <clears throat> in the last two months, there's been a lot has come up about uh, the USEF and a lot of uh, you know complaints about the costs and the price, and you know, just been a whole bunch of things that have come up in the last two months. And because of social media, you know, they're getting more play than they ever have in the past. So you know, I, I, everything you're saying is is the topics that people are bringing up: the cost of showing, the cost of sta- you know, staying in a show. And, and uh, how, how in some ways that's making it elitist, you know, because, you know, price does drive those things. Do you think that – we're going to talk about this. We do an equestrian roundtable uh, every couple of weeks. And one of the questions tonight, I wanted to ask you this question. Do you think there should be a required national trainer licensing program like there is in some other countries? I think there should be a certification licensing program. Uh, and people should be aware of it. Whether people who are not licensed should be allowed to train or not, I think that may infringe on, on people's rights. But I think if you're going to bring your uh, child, start your child riding, you know, you should be able to know there are licensed trainers, and you should be able to look for a license. Yeah, the certified or CHA does that. I mean, they do that. They mm-hmm. certify trainers. Uh, but you know, I guess some other countries, you know, they it's mandatory. And uh, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe different legal systems, perhaps, and different uh, approaches. But I think in our country, there's such diversity across our country in terms of even just the disciplines, 
raining versus jumping versus a venting versus the driving and all down the line. So, you know, I don't know. I, I certainly think uh, demonstrated qualifications are important because, you know, look, I'm sorry. Riding is a great sport. It is a dangerous sport, just like skiing, just like motorcycle riding, just like anything you do. And um, it's important that people that understand the safety principles as well as the horsemanship principles. One other question. This goes back in. You you run a give a plug for your law firm. <laughs> yes, I do have a day job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do work. <laughs> a few jobs. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but no. The uh, what I have done. My, my main uh, area of law is I do mostly uh, personal injury malpractice work, but. You know, I, I do consult a bit in the equestrian area. Uh, I will tell you, it's not, um, I don't do a lot of litigation in the equestrian in the world. Uh, I find that uh, many times people have questions or are uncertain about a situation. And often I find the best service I can provide is to share my experience and thoughts about a situation uh, and how to proceed forward. Uh, litigation is not usually... Uh, an effective way to resolve things in horses, mm-hmm. but it's very difficult. You know, horses are not like a, a painting or a diamond that you can clear value and how it works. There's many issues involved. So, you know, I, I think I've over the decades, I've made enough mistakes where I've, you know, bought a bad horse or gotten into a bad deal or done and, and learned. And if I can help someone else stay out of those things, that, that gives me, you know, uh, uh, Great pleasure. Which is the, um, which is the some, recurring hmm? lack of something that somebody does, uh, like maybe not a contract when they sell a horse or whatever. What's the recurring thing that keeps popping up that you go, I wish people would just do this? Typically, they don't do enough due diligence. And, you know, ironically, some of the brightest, wealthiest businessmen in the world will buy a horse like they would never do a deal ever. You know, my daughter, they're buying a horse for a daughter, they're buying this one here. They don't bother to check the show record. They buy something over the internet. They misconstrue what a vet certificate means. Hmm. By that, I mean a vet certificate isn't a black or white. This one will work. This one won't work. It's a, a risk assessment. Because there are horses you buy that vet absolutely perfectly and go lame three weeks later. Mm-hmm. There's other horses I bought for a lower price because their x-rays weren't clean. That are still living retired in the field that had a full competitive, you know, uh, experience. So I think people need to understand with, with horses is one: you're not buying a car. There's risk involved. Yes, it, it's worth the risk for the enjoyment, but understand that I hate to say it, you have to be able to afford to lose the money because it can go bad on you for no reason at all. And that's true whether the so horse people, is $1,000 or a million. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, you know, it, it, it's, you're, you're, buying these, you're buying a dream. When you buy a horse, you're, you're buying a dream of what you're going to can build with it and, and, and do with it. Um, but that's, that's the, the amount of certainty you have. And so uh, I think people get into it with an unrealistic expectation that it, it you know, uh, this horse is A, it will do B, and it will do C for, you know, X long. Okay, but the horse you get off is not the same horse you got on, right? And the program matters a lot. 
You know, you know, without the recipe, it's hard to put the ingredients together. Right. So there's so many factors, the behavioral issues, the physical issues, um, that it, it really is like having a child. You know, you, you need to know that horse inside out. At least that's, that's who I've always approached it. Well, the website is equestriancouncil.com. That's where you can find Armand. He's hanging out over there along with that many other places. We appreciate you being on today. This is very interesting to talk about this kind of stuff. I love this topic. Thank you for joining us. We have to run. We appreciate it. All right. Absolutely a pleasure. Thanks so much. Bye. It's time for the Horses in the Morning Horse Health Report. When our intrepid hosts, together with an unlucky member of the equine veterinary trade, attempt to inform, enlighten, or terrify horse owners everywhere into funding a Kickstarter campaign to mass-produce Kevlar-coated, bubble-wrap-lined equine products. In the vein of keeping uh, guests on who are smarter than us, uh, we're going to talk to now (laughs) Dr. Heidi Pansy, who is a board-certified internal medicine specialist at LSU. I don't know where Jen finds all these amazing uh, veterinarians, but let's welcome Dr. Pansy. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. This is a very interesting, I I was reading a a little bit about the study that you did, and this is really interesting because as a, as a horse owner and, and former veterinary technician, I would never have combined these two drugs, but I can see how it would be combined because they're so common in people's tack rooms now. And what I'm talking about is butte and omiprazole, which is, uh, the, the like generic version of gastroguard. So tell us a little bit about the study that you decided to, to, to take on. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say in, in practice, sometimes people will com- combine these two drugs because um, it's been fairly well established that butte can can cause ulcers in horses, gastric ulcers. Um, and so and certainly we know that omeprazole can prevent gastric ulcers. And so sometimes people will, will combine them in order to try to prevent ulcers. But there isn't any data out there on whether or not that that works. And so we set out to try to figure out if if that combination indeed um, reduced the the likelihood of ulcers. So you took, I believe, 40 horses, 45 horses participated in the study. And tell us a little bit about like how they started and how you decided to like walk us through it. Okay. So, yeah, so we took a bunch of horses and we were trying to find horses without ulcers to start the study under the assumption that butte um, may give some of them ulcers and then hopefully we'd be able to identify those horses in which omeprazole was effective at preventing that um, induction of ulcers by butte. Um, and so we excluded those horses that that had ulcers um, of, of greater than a score of two. And this is on a scale of two to four. So essentially any horse that has any defect in the mucosa, no matter how small, is categorized as a two. Grade one is um, in the glandular mucosa, when it looks a little pink or what we call hyperemic, in the squamous mucosa, that's where we have hyperkeratosis or that thickened yellow appearance. Um, so those horses were okay. And then anyone that had any sort of breach in the mucosa was excluded, again, no matter how small that um, that de- defect was. Okay, so you had 45 horses that had been turned out full-time. I'm curious, when I was reading this, I'm curious to know, of those 45 horses that had been turned out full-time, which ones then came back in with ulcers, if any? So 
we ended up um, including, um, let's see, 22 horses that, that again, had, had very minimal ulceration in the study. Um, and the rest of them had ulcers that we, we decided we, we didn't want to try to include those. So, so the least ulcerated in our herd, and certainly it's well recognized that horses turned out on pasture can still have ulcers even when they have a reasonably stress-free existence. So dang it. Um, that wasn't serious? too surprising. <laughs> I did, I, I'm like, I'm like, I, what else could you do <laughs> besides turn them out so, and let them yeah. eat all day? Yeah, no, that's been, that's been certainly established in, in broodmares and, and the like that horses just sometimes can have ulcers out on pasture. So it wasn't too surprising. That's why we took so many horses at the beginning because we really wanted to make sure we had those with, with minimal ulcers to include. So we, we screened all those horses and then included essentially the 22 that had the least severe ulcers to get started. Okay. So you have 22 horses. And then what did you do to these horses? You put, I think you guys pulled them in, put them in stalls and like kind of, gave them a reason to have greater ulcers and then you medicate what what did you do next so we um gave them a couple days of of adjustment to the stall so um between two and three days they they were able to come into the stalls because certainly um you know you want to account for that change in management we did change their feed a little bit when they came in by the nature of it because they're out they were out on pasture they got hay on pasture but then of course in the stall they're only on hay and a little bit of grain um, and so we gave them a couple days to adjust and then, and then we started to treat them either with, um, butte or butte and amaprazole or some horses just got, um, just got a placebo, which was corn syrup. Um, and that was to try to make sure that if there were any changes over time, just from being in the stall and a change in management, we were accounting for that. So there were three different treatment groups. Again, one, one group of butte, one group of butte amaprazole, um, and one group of placebo alone. Okay. Um, and we treated those horses for, sorry, up, up to um, 14 days. Um, and then we scoped them on day zero, day seven, and day 14 to look for ulcers. And then the plan was to do blood work on day zero and at the end of the study on day 14 to see if there were any systemic changes that we could detect in the blood work. Okay. How quickly did horses come up with ulcers after being brought into the stalls and I know we're not even to the butte yet but how quickly were they did they create gastric changes by being brought in and having their feet changed so that's a good question and that's an answer that we, we don't know because we didn't scope them the day they came in we just scoped them after the three days of management change so it's certainly possible that when they came in on day zero versus when we actually started the trial on day two or three, that there were changes happening over that time. But I, I don't know the answer to that question. Okay. So you, so you scoped them on day three, right? Right. Yep. And mm -hmm. how many had changes after just three days? Um, well, again, I can't say changes, but we, we certainly, oh, gotcha. most of our horses had some had ulcers either of the squamous part of the stomach or the glandular part of the stomach at that time. Again, whether that was, from them being out on pasture or whether that change with that management change, I don't know. And that's certainly one of the weaknesses of our study. Okay. okay. So, so we've got these horses that are in like, say, say me, I have a horse that lives out on pasture most of the time, but mm, he hurt himself and now he's got to come in and do butte and stall rest and all of those things. Uh, I've got a horse that needs to be on butte and stall rest people think, well, you know, you need to give them gastroguard. What was your takeaway from this? 
So what we found out is that those horses that were on butte and gastroguard actually had some um, intestinal complications. So some of the horses developed some colic. Sometimes it was diarrhea. Sometimes we, we think it was probably impactions. We couldn't always uh, diagnose that. Um, but, but six of the horses out of eight horses that were on butte omeprazole had um, what, what we call complications from that drug combination compared to only two of eight horses on butte alone. Um, and so that, that was our take home is that, wow, this isn't always the best choice to give these drugs in combination. But as you mentioned, with those management changes, it's a little bit hard to know how much of that was from changes that occurred with the management and then adding on the drugs on top of it. Certainly that's, you know, kind of an, an, an additional, additional challenge for those horses. So, um, but, but yeah, we were, we were a bit surprised at the, at the, at the changes that we saw. That's amazing. Okay. So say I do need to bring my horse up for stall rest and the vet has prescribed some butte. Uh, would it be better to, not give them a prezol at all or give it afterwards after they're done with all of their butte or how, how do you think we should go forward treating horses? So that's a good question. And, and, and I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I think um, one of the things with this study to keep in mind, we did use a fairly high dose of butte. Like some people will use the dose that we use generally for a day or two and then drop down to about half the dose of butte that we use. Which is what, like um, two so grams or three grams it was, yeah, two grams a day that we used. Um, and so, and typically, yeah, people would, would drop down uh -huh. um, to less than that, certainly. I'm sorry, two grams. Let me, let me, hold on. Let me back up. That might be two grams twice a day. Um, so 4.4 mix per kg. So yeah, so sorry, two grams twice a day. Um, and then, then, so most people would drop them down to no more than two grams once a day fairly quickly. And we kept them on that dose. So that, that certainly is a, a limitation of this study. Um, we, we did, we did um, repeat this study, and so far, we haven't done analyzed all the data, but it certainly looked like we saw a lot less complications when we used half the dose of butte. Um, and so I think that's one of, one of the things is that, um, you know, trying not to use these, these big doses of butte is probably a good thing whenever you can avoid it um, in, in combination with omeprazole. Certainly, the omeprazole did prevent glandular ulcers, so ulcers of the glandular part of the stomach, um, so it's, it is doing its job, but there, it's just concerning that, yeah, some of these horses had complications. Um, yeah. Perhaps that may not happen. So I think that's an important thing to consider. So consider a lower dose of butte. And then as far as it, since the omeprazole does do its job, should, is there like, are you guys dis discovering that there's like a waiting period between like, oh, okay, he needs three days of butte. And then on day seven, we'll start the gastroguard or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that it, it is, they don't tend, with, with a short term of, start, short time frame of butte, they don't tend to get ulcers, it tends to take some time, so if their horse is only getting treated with three or four days, um, you know, it may not be necessary to use the omeprazole, I think that's part of the, the take-home point of all of this, um, and that even if it's, if it's going longer term, maybe consider something else um, to help protect the stomach other than omeprazole. Okay. Um, and just be careful with management changes in association with it. Fantastic. Well, this has definitely been educating. What an interesting uh, study to do. Dr. Heidi Bancy from LSU, where can people get a hold of you if they have few further questions? Um, so they can email me and certainly my, um, my 
email is on the LSU website. So they're welcome to email me if they have questions. All right. That is the, uh, you can Google LSU College of Veterinary Medicine. Dr. Bancy, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for doing the study and bringing it to the horse.com so we could find it and, and uh, talk to you about it. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks. Have a great day. Bye. I love when Glenn, you nerd out on the health stuff. I was going to say, are you awake? Yeah. I don't think I heard you breathe in that whole you thing. You nerd I, out on the health stuff. I just let you go because you get so excited and you just oh totally my, nerd out. But that's fascinating because <laughs> those are two drugs that people use all the time. And they're like, oh, if you're put, giving a bio, you need to give them a gastroguard. I mean, I'm I'm sure people do that. That's just, you know, taking two drugs that are very common in somebody's barn and and figuring out if people are doing the right thing or not, you know. And well, I mean, everything is done with love, but we can love them too much. That's right. You can feed them too much, too. Apparently, I'm told I don't know anything about that. Yeah, that's uh, I heard that we have some weird news uh, breaking right now, uh, right after this episode is brought to you by Equiderma. Equiderma wound ointment is a must-have in your medicine cabinet. It visibly amplifies wound healing, stops proud flesh from developing, minimizes scarring, reduces pain, and keeps flies out of wounds. How much more do you want one product to do? You will find that with consistent use, you'll use uh, you'll notice a noticeable progression of steady healing every day. Plus, it's a great treatment regimen for common skin rashes and sores and things like that. You can find it all at Equiderma.com. That's Equiderma.com for all of their terrific products. Time to learn why some days you're embarrassed to be part of the human race in Jamie's Weird News. <laughs> That is a good one. I like that one, Glenn. Nice work. <laughs> well, um, I would like to thank the people that contributed to the segment today. Glenn, you sent me some weird news. Well, I just can't believe this is still going on. <laughs> it, it is. It's amazing. I, th- I thought we were tired of it, but you know what? You sucked me right back in. Uh, Ruth also sent me some weird news, and so did Danielle. Although I might have used Danielle's already. Um so you're going to have to tell me, okay, I'll, Glenn. I'll, yeah. have, medicated last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I really can't remember that much. Um, have I told you about the woman that is accused of spraying a fire extinguisher while she was running around naked in an Athens hotel? No, we missed that one. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, here you go. This is in Pennsylvania. I feel like I talked about this, but maybe not. A 26-year-old woman is facing several felonies after Athens police, Athens, Pennsylvania. I thought it was Athens, Greece. No, it is not. It's Pennsylvania. Alleged she destroyed a hotel room and then sprayed a fire extinguisher. I did talk about this one because she created a ton of damage to one hotel room, $6,500. You did talk about this one now. We've had so many naked people in your news stories. I can't keep track. I mean, right. There's the guy who was found naked in the tree with gators below. I, you know, I, who knows how these people end up getting there. Um, but yeah, she then um, grabbed a fire extinguisher and went crazy with that. She destroyed the phone, the bedspread, the mattresses, holes in the drywall. I mean, she meth will do that she, to you, huh? Meth is a bad. You guys, drugs are bad. <laughs> drugs are bad. Um, okay. Well, since we've done that one, let's go to, um, this one here that you sent me. Sorry. Of course, when I click on the ones you sent me, like there's a billion pop-ups. Yeah. That is. Um, metal 
This is, I mean, how often do we have a story about a monolith? I didn't even know what a monolith was. But the fact that they're ago. still going on, this is a new story. They're still popping up places. This is a metal monolith mysteriously appeared in a field in Southeast Turkey. <laughs> and now, it, four days after it dis- was discovered, it disappeared. I'm telling you. And they said that this 10 foot high metal slab bore an ancient Turkic script. So basically there was writing on this one. And you think the pharaohs are coming back or something? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Because they said the pharaoh that whole time with Egypt where there was aliens involved and stuff. People keep talking about that conspiracy theory. Maybe they are back. Um, so they had guards around This thing is huge and they had guards around it because people were looking at it, but then it disappeared. So like, how did, it, how did it <laughs> disappear with guards around it? Did nobody see it? <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> There's been, they have continued to pop up and the story has been, you know, because we're covering impeachment and all that other stuff, COVID, the story is not on the front pages anymore, but it's still there. It's still, they're still popping up. I don't know what the aliens are up to. I wish they'd just, you know, tell us. Just you No, know. take your time, because I feel like this is going to be a takeover, and it's I've got ba- some stuff good. I need to Nothing do. Nothing good going to come out of the aliens. Nothing fight. good is going to come out of this. They're <laughs> not going to land and be like, you know what? We just wanted to, like, tell you guys you're doing great. And they cough. They're not going to do that. <laughs> Judging by the 45,000 movies about aliens, we never fare well in those movies. No, we never. No, it's either going to be a takeover or they're going to be like, you know what? You guys are doing it wrong. I'm going to snap my finger (laughs) and half of you are going to disappear. That's right. After we put the gems in my glove. (laughs) Exactly. I've got to find the stones. (laughs) All right. Well, I thought, yeah, we've already done two. So we're moving through them pretty quickly. And this one is crazy. Uh, Talk about drugs that we have in our tack room. Do you know what is now the drug of choice for the streets on the streets, Glenn? Don't know. I don't keep up on my drug use. Okay, hold on. CBD, One, CBD oil by the by the number of stores that have popped up around here. Yeah, well, it's it, you, that would be better than <laughs> um, using animal tranquilizers to get high because guess what is now being used? Xylazine. Xylazine. Also Wouldn't that just put you out? Uh, yeah. And people are like taking it. It's, they said it's a non-opioid sedative used in veterinary medicine. Typical. It's a CNN article. Um, and apparently people are like, you know, taking it and then dying. So <laughs> weird. Hey, don't put medication that's for horses into your body. So uh, who's the sentence. first guy that goes, I think this is going to be a good idea. Let's give oh this a God, try. Oh my God, this is going to be so be fun. So, and I get my friends to do it too. And uh, it's cheap. And it's not, it's not protected. Like it's not like datomidine mm. or ketamine, you know, things like that. So it's probably fairly easy to get. Um, let me just caution any veterinarians listening. If somebody wants to buy, an individual wants to buy like 40 bottles yeah. of xylazine, yeah, maybe probably not sell it to them. <laughs> don't sell it. Okay. Yeah, I would think that you, how would you know what dose that gets you high and not dead? 
I, that's the problem, Glenn. <laughs> that is the problem. <laughs> and that is a problem with the weird news. Let's see. We had horse tranquilizers being sold on the street, uh, xylazine, and then the woman beating up the hotel room and spraying fire extinguishers. And then we also had the monolith in Turkey. And now, Glenn, I need the sounder. Oh, one more? Yeah. You're going to love it, but we're going to move to now Oklahoma. Oh, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. That's right. Um, Just this past month, Oklahoma representative Justin Humphrey introduced a new bill to the state legislature, Glenn. That's right. This guy, Justin Humphrey, which clearly I need to start voting in Oklahoma. Um, (laughs) He wants to open up licenses for hunting season, but Glenn, it's not deer. It's not typical animal. I don't know what those people hunt, but whatever people hunt, he wants to open up licenses to shoot Bigfoot. That's right. Justin Humphrey took a bill uh, to the state legislature asking to open up licenses for Bigfoot hunting season. He says, quote, a lot of people don't believe. Wait, hold on. A lot of people don't believe in Bigfoot. You know what? But a lot of people do. That's his (laughs) quote. I've been in the woods all my life and I ain't never seen any sign of Bigfoot. I never heard Bigfoot. But I have some people that I know that are good, solid people who I will guarantee you 100% have said that they have experiences with Bigfoot. So I know there are people out there that you know they're not going to convince you that Bigfoot does not exist. (laughs) So I know there are people out there that you will, oh, that you will not convince that Bigfoot does not exist. That's a double negative. Yeah, double negative there. <laughs> Jesus, Wait, let me guess. This guy is hard to understand reading his quotes. That's crazy. Um, he said that tour. Oh, he keeps going. Do you want me to keep reading? I think that we come down to the fact that he's going to do this. They'll charge two hundred dollars a license, and they're going to sell thirty-five thousand of them in Oklahoma. And, and what a money maker that is! Is people want to buy a license because they want to frame it on their wall? Anything that could be a revenue creator, something we ought to look at and definitely entertain. Um, and by the and way, Lord knows what they're going to be shooting. That's the other scary that's part. That's the problem. It's like, Man, that looks like Bigfoot pulled the trigger. We'll find yeah, out like, later. The big hairy oh guy that's six foot two. He's in big trouble. <laughs> hey, if anybody's real tall and you got long hair, you may want to wear some orange reflective gear yeah. with go walking in the woods around Oklahoma because they're going to shoot you down dead. And why would you want to hunt him? Why not just like, yeah, you know like what? Uh, say hi license. and have a conversation and find out where he's been hiding all these years? A photo license. Yeah. By the way, I went to. Chad, what was the town we went to in Oklahoma where it was like all Bigfoot? Broken Bow. Thank you, Lucas. Broken Bow, Arizona, uh, Oklahoma, I went to uh, on a vacation, like just a weekend staycation. And legit, that's where they say Bigfoot is, is in Broken Bow. And you could buy yourself about 40 different T-shirts with Bigfoot on it. Okay? (laughs) And you could buy Bigfoot statues. You could buy Bigfoot lighters, buy Bigfoot beer openers. <laughs> and you could buy licenses to hunt him right there. And, and you now, well, now you can. 
uh, the, if things go go right. Thank you, Ruth, for sending me that. I think <laughs> I appreciate it. I thank you, Ruth. It wasn't about Florida. I appreciate that too. <laughs> <laughs> And that's it for our weird news for today. And now we are going to head to the other side of the pond. That's right. It is time for our UK (laughs) report with our very own Samantha Clark. Hi, Samantha. Hi, Glenn. How are you? Good. I would ask what you're doing, but I know what you're doing. Nothing. You're doing absolutely nothing in England right now. You asked me for a news report, and I did reply. I said, Glenn, there's no news. Nothing's happening. (laughs) But if there is anyone who knows what's going on and what's not going on, um, I did uh, use it as an excuse to call Emma Winter, who you probably have heard of or met. She and her husband, Mike, lived in Georgia for a while. They are now back in England your loss, our gain, and they run Wayfarer Eventing, which is um, a little bit of everything. Um, it's a brilliant cross-country schooling. Um, they have horses. They sell amazing horses. Maybe we can get Emma to tell us who we might expect to see at Tokyo if that happens, that they've sold through their yard. And they are both professional eventers and their daughter events. So if it's happening, she'll know about it. So it's my great pleasure to introduce Emma. Hi. And How are I, you both? And Emma was on our show about yeah. 12 years ago. She started, uh, was one of our first guests many years ago on Stable Scoop. Yeah. That was when we first moved here, wasn't it, Glenn? Yeah, it was. You're, you're, you're absolutely yeah. right. Yep. That's yeah, right. it was right when we first made that transition um, back here. And we were very small then. Um, and we've kind of grown back to how we were uh slightly different format but same size as we were when we lived in america so all changed all changed how do you where do we want to start um what's going on with the schooling let's talk about that a little bit the cross country you have this amazing sort of facility that you hire out all the cross-country jumps and uh all weather arenas grass arenas show jumping and between the weather and brexit how is it going um well because of covid obviously we're in a national lockdown at the moment aren't we so um that's kind of put a halt to all of the um hiring out of the facility to public um hopefully as we're starting to kind of come out of this um peak that we're in i think hopefully things will start to open up but um it's been covid really not brexit so much. i said yeah i meant to say yeah. <laughs> which one is it today sorry <laughs> brexit is a bane of <laughs> my existence but no it's not that that's not the reason at the moment but um no i think really the covid has hit like everyone you know it's really affected our lives um in a huge way that we never we never could have imagined um you know it's had a huge impact on sales on um our facility hire our competitions and so then obviously the production of the horses so yeah it's it's been a very strange year and i think this year will be different from last year because now everybody knows a little bit more about it but still it will be challenging i got can i jump in here samantha and ask a quick question so so many in America, we've heard of Brexit. You know, I actually went to England two years ago, and you all were—you've been fighting about Brexit for years. So, how Emma is that going to affect horse people? 
Um, I don't know the exact laws. I'm just going on kind of what I've heard from my vet from um, who's obviously an international FBI vet, also from um, a close friend that does a lot of um, bloodstock shipping and um, from having to try and purchase horses in Europe. It's just it makes it a little bit more difficult and a little bit more expensive so logistically it's a little bit trickier because we have to have different paperwork obviously because we're not part of the eu anymore um so the horses have to go through they have to have more uh, a different health check they have to have different paperwork to go to europe i believe i have some friends going on the sunshine tour right now they have to have a carnet for all their equipment for for everything really their lorries have to be um approved in a different way because it's a uh, slightly different requirements for EU than it is for the UK so in that way i mean i think over time probably in the next 12 months we'll start to understand everything but i think at the moment you know because it was it was a very it wasn't a quick deal but it was a quick deal you know it was a bit of a last minute deal that they put together even though they've had many years to try and um, work it out it, it it somewhat feels like it's all been kind of slightly left to the last minute and nobody knows anything and they're just trying to figure it out as they go as far as logistics i'm glad your government's uh, no different than ours i'm really glad. <laughs> yeah and then yeah you mentioned the sunshine tour we're on pretty strict lockdown so yeah. that's i imagine why people it's not deemed essential travel that they can come and school around your cross-country course. Plus, I imagine people don't want to go to hospital right now. But um, I, do athletes, they don't get any – they can't – there's no excuse for athletes to be able to come and use it or you can't get a – you can't find a little loophole like that? Well, uh, I mean, elite athletes that have a letter from their federation, the ones that are deemed elite – are allowed to go off-site to train. But I think everyone's trying to do the right thing and be careful and, you know, not um, take any unnecessary risks as well. You know, they have to also be thinking about what's going to happen in the next two months as far as BE starting up. Obviously, Kentucky is maybe going ahead, maybe not. That's up in the air at the moment. But I think the riders from over here that were planning to go possibly they'll think twice about that now mm. um obviously because of uh self-isolation and um those things that come into play when you're traveling from the uk to the us and then back again um you know there was a little bit of that what happened last year when people went to france to compete and whilst they were there um uh we had like a no entrance Uh, like a border closure from France to the UK and that's really difficult for the athletes because you know they're trying to carry on and get their Olympic qualifications or try to get their horses ready for certain things and and they have owners and they're trying to make you know the best choices that they can but it it does make it slightly difficult I'm not saying that they should you know act as if it's not something that is going on because obviously it's a worldwide pandemic you know it's it's a serious situation but you know, that being said, I think the elite athletes are trying to, you know, do what they can. Yeah. And that includes your husband, Mike, right? Because he's hopefully, you know, trying to sort of launch an Olympic campaign this year. 
Yeah, so he had a horse that was qualified last year, um, and obviously, you know, that didn't happen. So we're hoping that if uh, they get the green light this year, then then that horse will go. He's he's got the best score for um, FEI score at four star long for the Canadian. So he's very consistent that horse at that level. So hopefully, um, you know, all being well, he will. Yep, he'll go. I mean, he's he's aiming at badminton this year, um, and you know, if see how it goes after that. So that would be his goal because you know, when you have a chance to have a shot at something like badminton or burley, then you know that's you you take that so as well. Yeah, can you tell? Has has it affected him? Is he different this year? And, and was it hard on him last year trying to plan and then trying to make different plans and more different plans? Um, you mean Mike? <laughs> Yes. Mm, um, it's kind of hard to know sometimes what Mike's thinking as far <laughs> as that. Um, he has a plan. He doesn't always, you know, um, express his plan to me. But uh, I think, no, he's 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 carrying on with badminton in mind at the moment. So obviously we've lost Thorsby already, but they're trying to redig that. And then I spoke to my vet the other day and she said um, she's obviously the British team vet so she has a little bit of insight and she said you know BE's trying to work a pathway for the elite riders or for the riders to get some way so that they can have runs you know within reason so that it has to be safe and it has to be approved by the government and by mm. BEF and things so that so that they can you know get uh things kind of going so that the people that need to qualify for certain things and have runs for the Olympics and all that kind of stuff that they, that they have that. Um, but obviously it's difficult again, you know, we're, we're still in a national lockdown and until next month, aren't we? So, yeah. you know, they've already postponed or canceled the first month of competitions really. And then Thorsby, which would be a, a, a big one for our horse in particular. And most, I think he would be going there to do the four star short he, they've cancelled that, so that will, you know, if if that doesn't run, they're, they're trying to do something. But if that doesn't run, then really they've just got Burnham Market, which is another four star short two weeks after that, no, I and then yeah. badminton. How, badminton how, so early, you know? How are vaccines going over there? Are they are they making progress in England? Yeah, yeah. so that is one thing, don't you think, Samantha? That yes. they have got. Five. Don't you? Yeah, agree? my. My mum got vaccinated. She got her first Pfizer vaccine last Sunday, and they, um, they're, yeah, they're rolling through it, and they seem to be doing it really well. Because that'll change yes. everything, right? I mean, if you can get England's much smaller than we are, and if you can get, you know, up to seventy percent by summertime, that's really going to change things. Yeah, I mean, I worry ever so slightly about um, availability yeah. for the second um, for the booster shot. You know, I, I know they kind of. They, they were great about getting it out there. And then they kind of, oh, well, maybe we're just going to prolong between the first, mm. the, the period between the first vaccination and the second one. And then I said to Mike, you know, we talk, because we talk about this all the time, like it, it does become slightly obsessive when it's, it's on the news <laughs> instantly. If it's, think about what's going on in America with Trump, it's Brexit <laughs> or it's COVID. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I'm so glad I'm not alone. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
(laughs) But but I think, yes, they have done an amazing job with the vaccinations and hopefully they can, you know, keep forging ahead. My mum got hers today and my father had his last weekend. And so, you know, it's really important that they just keep, you know, keep pushing them and people keep coming forward and actually having them. So so that, you, you know, we can really get that, you know, done. Hey, Samantha, we have time for one more question. Okay, let's talk um, quickly a little bit about the sales horses and how that's been impacted and how that's going. Yeah, so um, last year was a very good year for us. We've had two of our best years, actually. Um, we've sold lots of lovely horses. Um, I had a, We've sold many horses over the years. And um, the last couple of years, we've had really good years. We've sold horses that went to the Olympics. We sold um a horse that has been you know a young horse of ours that went to Blenheim and hopefully going to be a really good team horse for the Japanese we've sold some really nice horses I sold my three-star horse last year to um, a New Zealand rider five-star rider so hopefully he'll be a horse for Paris you know it's really um it's been a great it was a great year for us last year so um despite all of the kind of roadblocks you'd think it was different we had to do things a different way so I'd say predominantly we sold in the UK last year um, Mm -hmm. whereas you you do a huge amount of sales to the US um, and then the US uh, market it's just changed so um, so last year it was really a lot of young horses that I could sell off videos to good customers that I have done business with for a very long time and fortunately I'm very I'm very lucky that they trust me and Mike to be able to find horses for them and um, and they're happy for me to kind of you know put my seal of approval on them to then you know buy them off the video I mean that kind of goes a long way yeah um, and they, they've worked out really well so I'm really happy about that um but yeah I mean obviously it's it's been difficult over here because people it, we had just such a limited time and and also producing the horses last year we we weren't able to do it like we usually can we didn't have that many competitions um what competitions we did have were hugely oversubscribed so many of the horses didn't get out um so the younger horses so it was just you know it's maybe set them back a season i'd yeah. say if there's one horse we should look out for that we're going to see uh maybe at kentucky maybe at badminton maybe in tokyo and we can say oh we heard emma talking about that one on on the horses yeah. in the morning show which which one would it be do you think well of course el mundo mike's horse <laughs> <laughs> But no, I, I mean, it, it's hard to pick out one horse, isn't it? I mean, I'm very much hoping that my little horse um, that I sold to Ginny Thompson goes on to great things because I think it's a really good match for her. And I, I sold her another really nice three-star horse as well last year. So she has some great horses. Emma, what's the website? Um, sorry? What's the website? Uh, WayfairEventing.net. Very good. We've run out of time. Thank you both for joining us. And we hope that you guys get out of lockdown soon. We really do. I said that last month to to Samantha, but (laughs) we'll say it again. I hope you get out of lockdown soon. (laughs) Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye. Take care, everyone. Thanks so much, Emma. Well, that's it for our show today. We had a lot of guests. We've gone around the world. We've discussed many different things. And what did you learn today, Jamie? 
Oh my gosh, I learned that first of all, the winters sell a lot of horses. So my question was, where do you guys get all these horses? Let's see. I also learned um did we talk about Equiderma, by the way? Yes, we did. Yeah. Okay. Um <laughs> I also learned a lot about Butte and Amiprazole, and then I pretty much ignored you what you said for the whole episode. Yeah, so there I you don't go. Know. Perfect. That's a usual episode then? Absolutely. <laughs> I just have one quick announcement that we're going to do. I listen the post. to the girls and I listen to the vets, but I don't listen to you. <laughs> She's still mad at me because I didn't send her anything. Um, so we're going to be back again tomorrow. Mary Kitzmiller and Jennifer will be awesome. here talking about training. And then Friday, we're going to have a batch of really bad ads coming up on Friday. So join us then. Uh, and then also uh, for the auditors, hang on. I just have an announcement to make. We're going to keep it real quick because the show's going a little long. Oh, so, wait. No, we were supposed, we teased what we were going to talk about. Uh, we'll have to do that on Friday. Are you going to save it up for Friday? <laughs> we'll have to do that on Friday. Okay. Um, just remember that we are teasing in the post show. Glenn gets lots of emails from really interesting people that do interesting things with horses. And he sent me one of these and I'm going to comment on it. Yeah, we'll have on to do that on now Friday. Now Friday. You, you just, <laughs> you're teasing things for the, the whole week. That is really good radio. Glenn. It is. It Love is. You. It's good to keep some hanging Proud on. Proud of you. All right. Thanks, everybody. Spay, neuter, geld. Where's the music? I'm waiting. There it is. Gosh. It was delayed. Throwing my timing all off. Didn't want to start. It was tired. And we are out. That show went by quick. When you have four guests, it just flies by. So um, I just had an announcement, official announcement, uh, that I uh, will make to the auditors first, and we'll be posting something on the auditor page here in a little bit, uh, is that we have the Cru Horse Lovers Cruise set for next year. And I didn't even officially announce it till this morning, and people have already booked. So uh, so that's interesting, and people are excited about it. We are going on the second largest cruise ship in the world. It is the Harmony of the Seas, and I'm going to get you some details here right now. The Harmony, the Harmony of, the, of seas. the Seas. I'm bringing it up. Uh, give you some details. So th this is different than the other cruises we've taken. We've tried to keep the cruises shorter because... Horse people can make shorter cruises, but that also meant much smaller ships. So to get to large ships, you have to do a longer cruise. So this is a seven-night cruise. It's out of Cape Canaveral. We always meet, uh, for those that want to, this isn't required, but those that want to, we meet the day before. We all stay in the same hotel, and then we do an activity the day before. Last year is when we went to visit Carol at the rescue. Carol Baskin. Oh, Carol Baskin. Yes. That's right. You didn't yes. actually meet her, did no, you? No, we didn't meet her, but we went to her rescue. <laughs> that was before all of that came out. Um, so this year, we're going to go to Cape Canaveral, and we're going to go visit NASA, and we're going to do the tour of the Space Center and the whole thing. So we're going to do that the day before, and then we're going on a seven-night cruise on Harmony of the Seas. To give you an idea of how big Harmony of the Seas is, it is huge. It has 18 decks, 23 pools, 24 restaurants. It has 20 bars and lounges, which is why half the people have already booked. Um, it has 2,700 staterooms and carries 5,500 guests. 
Um, and I'll also give you another thing. Uh, they serve uh, 350 tons of ice cubes in one sailing, 5,000 dozen eggs, 100 gallons of ice cream, 2,100 pounds of lobster, and 2,500 pounds of salmon. All in uh, one sailing. So there's a lot of food. 2,100 pounds of lobster? Yes, yes. Run away, little friends! (laughs) Lobster night's a big deal on the cruise ship. Not for me. I don't like lobster. But um, it's a big cruise ship. There's a lot to do. There's many water slides. There's tons of shows and performances and things. This is a different cruise. There's only three stops we're going to be hitting. um, And the rest is cruise days. On a cruise ship like this, you want that because you get lost for the first three days. We're going to Antigua, which I've never been to before. I'm excited about that. We're going to Charlotte and... Emily in St. Thomas, which is kind of cool. And then we're doing their private island, Coco Cay, which, which they always stop at. But So that's it. There's a lot of details at horseradionetwork.com slash cruise, and the rates are on there. Uh, get your bookings in now. And as far as COVID is concerned, they do have a cancellation policy. You can cancel up to 90 days before the cruise and get a full money back. If you have to cancel for COVID, like within 48 hours of the cruise, they will give you a full 100% credit. You can use it at a later time. So, Okay, hold on. So yeah. you, where is the cruise leaving out of? Port Canaveral, which is Cape Canaveral Where's here in Florida. That? Yep. Is that like on the southern tip? No, it's like land in Orlando and go due west for about 40 minutes and you're right there on the coast, right in the middle of the state. Okay, so north of Tampa. So you got to go all the way. No, no, that's on the west coast. This is on the east coast. So you said go west. So you go oh, east. Oh, yeah, go east. I'm sorry. Go east. From You're <laughs> okay, right. that's a little easier. So you basically you leave yeah. out of like just south of Daytona Beach. Yes. And south you of Daytona. go down past all of the Bahamas. And you're not stopping in the Bahamas, right? No, this is going to Antigua this time. Antigua. And so you go all the way down past the Turks and the Caicos, past the Dominican Republic, past the Virgin Islands, the U.S. and the British, past in- St. Kitts and Nevis, all the way to Antigua and Barbuda. That is a really, really far. How long does it take to get to Antigua? It's a big-ass ship with a big motor. It takes two days. You get two sea days before you get there because it takes two sea days to get there. Wow. Which is great because this ship, you want to spend time. You want less time in ports and more time on the ship. It's truly, it's, it's huge. I mean... It's, they have a zip line on the ship. They have multiple water slides. Um, you know, there's 20 pools. That tells you how big the ship there's is. There's 20 pools on a boat? Yep. <laughs> I need to Google this this boat. Yep. Okay, what's it well, called again? Well, just go to uh, horseradionetwork.com slash cruise, and it'll have all the pictures and videos there for everybody. It's really a big ship. And you won't go hungry because there's 24 restaurants. So. Oh, the seas. It's I wrote big. Harmony Of, and it popped up. Yep. And I've been cited about Antigua. Antigua apparently has 365 beaches on this little island. It is an island. How can it has one beach and it's really long? <laughs> apparently, it's 365 distinct ribbons of white sand and clear water. Good lord, this ship looks like Vegas. It's huge. It is enormous. Yep, it's enormous. We now, went on you- one. We went on one that was this class. We went on Oasis, which is a little bit shorter. It's not too much smaller, but it's a little bit. It's older and smaller than this one, and oh. it took us three days not to get lost. It has twenty four elevators, so I mean, just figuring out which elevator bank to go to <laughs> to get where you're going was a feat. 
I am like wad looking at this having a panic attack. So the, any <laughs> dreams that you had of me going on? No, this, thing? this is good because it's stable. You don't even feel the sea at all because it's like you don't even know the sea's there because it's so stable. And it's a new ship, so they have all those fancy mechanized things to keep it from rocking back and forth. It's Do you fun. sleep like in like the where Leonardo DiCaprio did in the bottom of the Titanic, or are you like Rose and you've got like a suite? We're going to be like, actually we book, book the ninth floor and we always get a we always get a balcony because we like waking up in the morning and sitting out the balcony and watching the ocean go by. So we what we do our routine is this: we order room service to come at about seven o'clock because we still get up early, um, and it shows up at our door and we take the coffee and and a starter breakfast. We always have a starter breakfast. And then we eat that on the balcony before we go up for the real breakfast. So you have your coffee on the balcony, looking the ocean go by, or or the islands. And off you the don't distance. pay any extra for any of that. Well, you you pay extra to get a balcony room, but no for the room right. service and no. for the food and no, stuff. No, no. we do that Just every tip. morning. Yep. So it's one of the. Just have a lot of cash for tips and stuff. Yeah, tips are included now with cruises. You pay a certain amount per day. They charge you that up front, and that's that's your tips. Uh, wow. They've eliminated that hassle too. So that's kind of nice. Oh my God, my heart. I, I, I'm sorry. I can't breathe. Now you, and what was amazing about this ship is when we, this was the first cruise we had taken in 20 some years. We went on a Oasis class ship, this size ship. And uh, we, what we thought is there's 5,000 people on board. There's a total of about 8,000 people with crew. So we thought this is going to seem crowded, but it never seemed crowded. Because it's so, they have a, they're so good at spreading people out with activities on the ship, and it just never seemed all that crowded. It was funny how that worked. I don't know. It just, it was weird uh, because people are so spread out. Now, the, if you look at a picture of the ship and you see the big balconies on the back of the ship that people are standing on, they're big balconies on the back. Those are expensive rooms. Those you pay a fortune for. Like, oh, I see. Yeah, they're like ten grand for those rooms. <laughs> that's, that's Why didn't you get one of those? Yeah, those I mean, if you're going to go big, go big. Ships. But anyway, uh, we will be posting that in the auditor room. We're really trying to keep it to listeners this year. We had a, you know some non-listeners go in the past, and they kind of were like, we have no idea what anybody's talking about because at dinner we always eat dinner together every night, and you know we had fifty what people. Do you mean last non-listeners time? came about ten, like, and they were kind of you know when we had dinner all together, everybody was talking about the shows and you know and hosts. How and did things. they sign up for a horse horse well, radio? It's, it's open to the public. I mean, people can sign up, but. Um, you know, I don't think you'd want to because you're going to be with 40 or 50 people who are super fans of, a, you know, the network. So that's what the conversations are about, that and horses. There you go. And, I, you know, I know a lot of the people that went last year are already signing up. So we'll be uh, we'll be looking forward to seeing you all out there in the boat and everybody. And it, it's appropriate, though, after last after the two years we're going to have leading up to this, that we go on a ship called Harmony. That's right. That's perfect. We're all going to need a little Harmony. Okay. I'm telling you, if we drug you enough, you'd be fine. <sighs> you know that CBD oil? <laughs> maybe sure maybe narcotics. Maybe maybe yeah. those drugs that lady was taking with the with the. Maybe that's what we need. I need xylazine. Yeah, there you go. That's a tranquilizer. You'll be fine. We can figure out okay. how much to give you. We'll just a little shot. <laughs> okay. She's already awesome. hyperventilating. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye.